So Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at today, first four verses. All right. One of the most amazing stories I ever read, I read from a Reader's Digest book of courageous stories, and it was about a man named Sir Ernest Shackleton. I'm curious, any of you heard of Ernest Shackleton? Good, okay, so you kind of know what I'm talking about. But uh, it was talking about his uh, journey to the South Pole. Now, the South Pole, uh, there was a Norwegian uh, had already made it there, but they were trying to do something a little different, and the story is all about the journey to the South Pole. Sadly, though the uh, ship and the crew never made it, uh, it actually turned into one of the most incredible stories I've ever read. By January of 1915, the ship Endurance, as it was trying to go to Antarctica, actually got trapped in the Arctic ice. That's the Endurance in the picture you see there. And it was trapped there in the ice all through the winter, and it was about 10 months long. And the crew was hoping that uh, as, as spring came on and weather got warmer, that uh, they would be able to escape the ice and, and sail home. But instead of that happening, what ended up happening was the spring, when it did come, and the ice was was breaking. It ended up crushing the ship into little splinters, and and the ship ended up sinking. And uh, what the men ended up doing then was they they abandoned the ship. You can see it's in a mess there in the picture. So they abandoned it, took everything they could needed off the ship, and then they spent the next six months just camping on an ice flow, big ice flow, and and uh, they were hoping it would it would eventually drift in the right direction. It would be helpful to them, but in April, the ice flow actually split and broke, and uh, Shackleton decided it was at that time the crew needed to take their three lifeboats and try to uh, row to to find some land. And after doing that, after seven days in these little lifeboats, uh, they eventually made it to a little island called Elephant Island. However, the island was an inhospitable place. It did have some seals and penguins they ate, but wasn't a nice place. And it was a long ways away from any shipping routes, so they, they, were, they had no way of getting help on that island. So it was essential that they try to find some help. So what Shackleton decided to do was uh, adapt one of their lifeboats and sail for South Georgia Island. That trip was very long and dangerous. Uh, the captain of the ship said the South Seas there is the, the most dangerous seas in the world. What they did was they chose five men to cross 1,300 kilometers of ocean with basically nothing else out there. And after 16 days of trying to find this little island in this huge ocean, uh, they, they eventually made it to South Georgia Island. There was a whaling station there. And then, uh, then they were eventually, Shackleton was able to get a boat and eventually go back and save all 22 of the men who were stranded on Elephant Island. But it, that's an amazing story. However, what I, what I want you to think about, though, is that dangerous journey could have easily ended in disaster. So many things could have gone wrong. Uh, one of them being is that when they were sailing from Elephant Island all the way those, those uh, 16 days, they could have easily missed South Georgia Island, easily. They could have been blown off course. They were trying to go by stars and everything. They could have easily missed it uh, there in that big ocean. But by God's grace, 
they all lived, and none of them died. And here in Hebrews chapter 2, we have a warning passage here we're going to look at today. God is warning, He was warning this particular church about their danger. See, some in the church were in danger of being blown away. They were in danger of drifting from their moorings. Drifting away from the, particularly the truth of Jesus Christ, who He was. They were in danger of drifting back into the Dead Sea of Judaism. Of going back to the law. And that was, that's just dead. And so notice what the Holy Spirit says here in Hebrews 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. We'll just look at those first four verses of chapter 2 today. And here is what the author is trying to teach us from these four verses. The theme is this. Listen to Jesus, because ignoring Him leads to horrible consequences. Now, if you don't fully understand uh, the theme there for today, uh, I will try to explain that. Hopefully it will make sense by the time we're done. But the passage is, is exhorting us, don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't drift away from Jesus. That's the warning, by the way, in verse 1. Don't drift away from Jesus Christ. So the warning here is using nautical language, not sailing terms, if you will. The, it's suggesting to us the image of a ship whose anchor has somehow broken loose from the ocean floor, and now the ship is just dangerously floating in the water. I can understand a little bit of what that's like. I'll give you a personal illustration of just how dangerous this can be. Maybe this has happened to you, I don't know. But one time I went fishing with a friend up in Fongaray, and we were out in the harbor there, and, and my friend decided he was going to go do some diving and get some scallops for dinner. And so he puts on his gear, and he jumps in the water, and he said, Now, uh, when I come back up, uh, just bring the boat back over and get me, okay? So while he was down getting scallops, I was fishing away, and I wasn't doing what this passage said to do. Uh, I'm just kind of enjoying my fishing, trying to catch some fish, kind of looking for my friend, not paying any attention to where I was drifting. And eventually, just a few minutes later, I noticed, oh, I'm getting really close to those rocks. <laughs> I wasn't paying how close, pay attention how close the rocks were. And then I'm like anxiously trying to get this boat started that I've never used before. And I didn't crash, but if I hadn't been paying attention, it would have been really bad. Probably would have hit the rocks and damaged the boat. That's the danger of drifting. And that's the danger of not paying attention being careful in your attention as you're drifting. It's dangerous. 
Now, to whom is this warning directed here? You say, does this apply to me, or is this, you know, just for the the, the church here, Hebrews, or, or what? Well, uh, it can't be talking about Christians. If you are a true believer, genuine believer in Jesus Christ, it's, it's not you. And you say, well, why? Well, uh, because the Christians isn't in danger of neglecting salvation since you already have received salvation and you can't lose your salvation. So who is this referring to? Listen closely, because it might apply to you. This warning is to people who've heard the gospel. They've heard the good news from the Bible. They know some facts about Jesus Christ, like you, you, you might know that he died and he was buried and rose again, for example. Uh, you might you might die know that uh, that that God desires to forgive your sins. The, these people may know that there is such a thing as new life in Christ, and, but these kind of people aren't willing to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, they're just kind of drifting through life, and that's dangerous. And by the way, drifting is usually not an, an intentional thing. Uh, but what it, we see in this text here is it comes from not paying careful attention. The Hebrews here had become careless about their moorings in Christ. They should have been firmly grounded in Christ. They had neglected their anchor, if you will. Their anchor being Jesus Christ. Now, one cannot help wondering how many thousands of people are in hell who were close to salvation. How many were close to being safely anchored and moored in Jesus Christ to just only then drift away forever just because they failed to receive what they had heard? See, it's not enough to hear the gospel. It's not enough to just hear and know some facts about Jesus. You have to receive them. See, drifting is quiet. It's a quiet thing. It's easy to do but it is so damning. See, all you have to do to go to hell is do nothing. You just have to drift. Do nothing. That's all you have to do. So my friend, please understand, hell is full of people who know the truth. Just listen to the story that Jesus talked about. The rich man, he woke up in hell. He knew the truth. And he wanted somebody, Abraham, in fact, he wanted Abraham to go tell his brothers. He obviously knew some things about the truth. And so all you have to do to go to hell is do nothing. And and these people are aware of the good news of salvation, but they're not willing to commit. Sadly, it's like a lot of guys in our society, right? You know, they, they like the girls, but they're not willing to commit to the girl in marriage. It's a disaster. A lot of people are like that in their spiritual life. They they know some things about Jesus and they'll kind of hang out with Jesus. They 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 might like Jesus, but they're not willing to commit for a lifetime to Jesus. So, my friend, if this is you, I fear there's at least one person in this room. I I I fear I'm talking to you, and, and I have to tell you, as your friend, I fear for your soul. This is a scary warning. It also reminds me of a of another explorer, another English explorer by the name of William Perry. He drifted. He understands the danger of drifting, and 
If you don't know anything about him, bear with me. I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was um, on a mission to go to the... He went up into the Arctic Ocean. This was during the early 1800s. And they wanted to go farther north, and they were charting the area there, and they were calculating their location by the stars. And so they started on this very dangerous, treacherous journey on the, the sea ice. And they walked... Hours and hours and hours. Finally, after being just exhausted, they stopped. They took their bearings again from the stars. And would you believe it? After walking hours and hours and hours north, based on the bearings on the stars, they were actually farther south than when they had started. And the reason being is the ice flow was moving farther south than they were actually walking north. They had been walking on the ice flow, not realizing that the ice flow was drifting south. And I wonder, how many people are like that? They're just kind of drifting through life, spiritually speaking, thinking they're getting somewhere, but in reality, they're not. Thinking, I'm getting closer to God, but in reality, they're actually drifting away from God, just like William Perry and his crew were. They, they think, some people think, hey, you know, my good deeds and my merits and my religion and whatever, they're going to take me to God when in fact these people are drifting away from God. That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So let me ask you this. What brings drifting? How does this happen? Well, here, here's some possibilities, okay? Uh, one way this might happen in your life or someone else's life is just basically years, time. See, the longer you live, the more you're going to see this sort of thing. Sadly, there's many people who have professed to be a Christian and then they, they, they've drifted, ended up drifting far away from Christ. Oh, I could tell countless stories. Sadly, I have a lot of, well, more like my wife's Facebook page, because I don't really use Facebook. But uh, Facebook, on the whole, I find quite discouraging. Thank God some of you, I enjoy reading your comments. But on the whole, some of my really old friends and acquaintances in school discourage me. A lot of these people claim to be Christian. They've drifted. They used to be passionate followers of Christ, but today, no such thing. They've drifted away from Christ from their faith. Many of them have children who are no longer interested at all in Christ, don't go to church, and I find that a tragedy. So one of the things that can bring drifting is just time, years. A second thing that can bring drifting in your life is familiarity with the truth. It's just kind of a natural thing to regard the familiar as commonplace. So you might have an initial interest uh, in the mysteries of Jesus Christ. Some people are kind of like that, that story that Jesus told about the four different kinds of soil, right? Sometimes there's, there's an initial response, and, and the plant starts growing, but then the cares of the world choke it out. The thorns and the thistles get to it. Some people are like that. There's, there's an initial response to Christ, and then you know they might get excited might have some joy at first, but then they die off. But what happens with repeated journeys sometimes is you can become a, a bored tourist. 
you just keep going back to the same place, doing the same thing over and over, you can become a bored tourist, even, even with exciting locations. Some people find joy in their familiarity. Good on you if that's you. But familiar, familiarity has both a danger as well as reward. And so the difference depends on you. A third thing that can cause drifting potentially is just busyness. Sometimes we're just too busy and our cares and our duties overwhelm us and get in the way. It's kind of like dying a death by a thousand paper cuts. You ever heard that? You can die, you know, I don't know if you ever heard that, death by a thousand paper cuts, right? One paper cut doesn't kill you, but if you just keep doing that over and over again, eventually someone could potentially die. Or another way of illustrating busyness in our life is with a snowflake. Snowflake is a beautiful thing, lightweight, little thing, no danger there, just one, but when you start getting them by the millions and trillions and start packing them together and they start combining, a snowflake is a tiny thing, but when they collect together, they can slide down a mountain and just bury you. That's the danger of busyness in the spiritual realm. A thousand cares can insulate us from Christ, cause us to begin a deadly drift. Those are some possibilities, and there could be others you could name. But you probably want to know the solution. So what's the solution? We've looked at the warning in verse 1. The warning is don't drift away from what we've heard. Don't drift away from what we heard. So what's the solution? Well, verse 1 gives us the solution, and it just says simply pay careful attention. And what are we to pay attention to? And verse 1 answers that as well. Verse 1 says, pay attention to what we have heard. You say, okay, great. Uh, What have we heard? Well, look at the context. Because the very first word in chapter 2 is a therefore, which is pointing you back to chapter 1. What did we learn in chapter 1? What was chapter 1 all about? It was all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So let me remind you in what ways is Christ supreme. Here's four things we learned in chapter 1, showing you that we're to listen to Jesus Christ. Okay, So, So we learned that Jesus Christ is supreme as the final word of God. He's supreme over the prophets, for example. Uh, We learn that Christ is supreme as the creator and sustainer of the universe. We learn that Christ is supreme as the ultimate priest. We only need Him. We don't don't need any others. And then we learn that Christ is supreme even over the angels. In fact, He created the angels. So those are the sort of things we saw about Jesus Christ in chapter 1. So the word, therefore, in chapter 2, verse 1, is pointing us back, saying, hey, Look at Christ. Listen to Christ. This is what we have heard. We've heard about the supremacy of Christ. Now we have to pay attention to what we've heard. You say, well, what's the point? (laughs) Here's the point, my friend, that Christ is meant to be the anchor of your soul. Be more to Him. Attached, abiding in Him. So the question is, is Jesus Christ, your anchor. And you say, well, 
why, why should I care about this? I mean, this, this is all very interesting, but why should I care? Well, that's why you have verses 2 to 4. Okay? And in two, verses 2 to 4, we have the reasoning behind this argument of why you're not to drift away from Christ, why you need to pay attention, in fact, a much closer attention to what you've heard about Jesus. And so, the answer here is in, particularly in verse 3. Look at verse 3, because it says, you're not going to escape if you neglect such a great salvation. The salvation in Jesus Christ is not to be neglected. Don't just do nothing. You must do something with Christ. You must receive Him. And how do we know this is so important? Well, what the Holy Spirit's going to do in verses, particularly verses 3 and 4, He's going to have an argument that's going to go from the lesser argument to the greater argument. In other words, what He's saying here is, if what the angels said was reliable, and it was, notice it mentions that in verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, so, what they said was reliable, then what is going to come from someone who is superior to the angels needs to be even more considered taken on board, if you will. So here's the point. The point is, these words were binding. They were so binding, in fact. Notice it says in the text that every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. Just to illustrate this from a few passages from the Old Testament, just so you can see what God did with His just punishment. I'll give you a few examples here. Sometimes God's punishment came directly from heaven. Uh, I'll give you an example. The Bible says in one day there were 23,000 people who died. Why did they die? Well, God talks about this, of all places, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8, the Bible says that we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. So have you learned from this example? I hope you are. <laughs> so sometimes judgment fell directly from heaven. Sometimes the, ju the just judgment or punishment didn't come directly from heaven, but it just came through Israel's legal processes that God had set up at Mount Sinai. I'll give you an example. For example, you remember the Ten Commandments written by God at Mount Sinai? The Fourth Commandment demanded that Israel keep the Sabbath holy. And the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 15, it was quite soon after that law was given that, uh, that, that somebody saw a man working on the Sabbath. In fact, the Bible says he was picking sticks probably for his fire, I guess. The man was not ignorant. He knew that he was breaking God's law. He knew the law. And so what the leaders did is he, they, they took the man into custody 
and then they ask God, what do we do with this man? So I want you to see what God says about this man who is breaking his law. Numbers 15, verse 32. I've got it on the screen here for you. It says this, Now while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. You say, man, that's harsh. The guy died for picking up sticks on Saturday? (laughs) Wow, that's harsh. But that was God's law. This guy knew he was breaking God's law. And you say, well, why? Why? Well, Hebrews 2, verse 2, tells us, hey, God had spoken. And every transgression, every disobedience, received a just retribution. And so, the author here is using that argument to say, hey, that's what happened in the Old Testament? We need to listen to Jesus even more. Because ignoring Jesus is going to lead to horrible consequences. You say, well, wasn't that horrible consequences? The guy got stoned to death. Yeah, that's horrible. But listen, my friend, it's even worse if you drift away from Christ. Even worse. That's the argument here. So verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Rhetorical question. And So now we come to the greater argument here. Why does neglecting this great salvation deserve such horrible consequences? Well, look what the Bible says here. Verses 3 and 4. We see first of all that salvation was first announced by the Lord. It was first announced by the Lord because verse 3 says, it was declared at first by the Lord. In other words, Jesus Christ proclaimed the salvation. Now the angels mediated the laws, it says here. But Jesus was more than a mediator. He, he is a mediator, but He's more than that. He's greater than the angels. He mediated this gospel. He was the divine Son of God, but He was also the incarnate Son. Two natures, deity and man, in one person. And He communicates this glorious message infinitely superior to the angels. And so the argument is is this, my friends. Jesus is superior to the angels. If we're to listen to the angels, and they did, their message was reliable, it says. The greater argument is, listen to Jesus because He's even superior. Far superior. A second reason we need to consider is this, that salvation was confirmed by the apostles. Again, that verse 3. Verse 3 says, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. They heard. The apostles heard from Jesus this glorious salvation. 
Now, this primarily refers here to the apostles, showing what, what Jesus said. And they went around telling others. They wrote it down. And so they would pass it along to the next person, and then that person would pass it along. And eventually, guess what? We've received this great salvation. So salvation was confirmed by the apostles. But here's the trump card, my friends. Verse 4 is the trump card. <laughs> salvation was testified by God. It was testified by God. That's what verse 4 is telling us. Because it says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The testimony here is dynamic. Powerful. God used four things here in our text. Number one, He used signs. They were to The signs were not to point to people and things, but to point to God Himself. The wonders brought amazement for anybody who saw those things. Again, not to point to people, but to point to God and the, and the message that God had. The miracles showed the power of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit here were given, notice, according to God's will. All these things pointing to God and the message that we have heard. So those four things were a weighty testimony to the authenticity of the Word of Christ. Now, do you see the argument here? I've gone pretty quickly through that. But basically, the argument goes like this. If the Old Testament law was so binding upon Israel that any infraction was punished, would deserve punishment, then how much more accountable are we and, and the Hebrews here who have heard the Word of Christ? And on top of the Word of Christ, we've got the confirmation of eyewitnesses like the apostles. We've got the testimony of signs, wonders, and gifts. And so this is a powerful argument. And this is why verse 3 asks the question of us, how shall we escape? What's the answer? You won't. If you neglect this great salvation, my friend, if you drift away from Christ, you will not escape. And that's why I'm saying, listen, my friend, I fear for your soul. Now, what does this message have to do with you? Some of you might be sitting here thinking, this has nothing to do with me. Well, it has everything to do with you. The warning is for people who've heard this good news. They've heard about Christ. The concern here, by the way, is for people who then go on and reject the gospel, do nothing with Christ. They just ignore Christ. Remember, that's all you have to do to go to hell is just leave Christ alone and do nothing with Him. That's all you have to do. So the concern has to do with your attitude. This warning is for people who've left the greatness of Christ and they've just kind of slipped away. They're, they're no longer marveled by the atonement. They don't longer have any desires for God's Word. These are people who, who are drifting and have little concern about this drifting. And this is why it applies to you. You need to be concerned about this. So what do you do if you're concerned about drifting? Well, God tells you in verse 1 to pay much closer attention to what you have heard. And so even if you're a Christian, this is applicable to you and to me. 
Do you ever find your heart drifting from Christ? Or do you always stay way up here, right? (laughs) Come on, I know you're like me. You've got the same heart that I have, sinful heart that I have. I wish I could say I'm always up here. My fellowship is always awesome, but it's not. (laughs) It's not. There's days I don't read the Bible. I haven't prayed. I'm drifting in those moments. And so I've got to repent of my sin, come back to Christ. Shouldn't be that way, but that's that's what happens. So what do we do? Well, focus all your attention on the supremacy of Christ. That's that's what Hebrews is telling us to do here. And now this is going to require some work on your part. Okay, you know it's it's the Bible is is not like your computer or your smartphone. You know, there's no USB port in this, is there? No USB port where you just put that in and then you get, plug it up to your brain and then you just download it all and it's always it doesn't work that way. It requires some work. You're going to need to find all those passages in the Bible that talk about Christ. And if you need help with that, uh, please. Um, loved it. That, in fact, I'd love to spend hours and hours talking to you about that. And so, what do you, you, you go to those passages in the Bible. You meditate on Christ. Ask questions of the text, memorize Scripture, and you worship. You adore the one whom you're reading. Pay careful attention to the supremacy of Christ in all things. A second thing we need to do is we need to be paying the closest attention to what we've heard here. And that means you're living in the revelation of God's Word. Continually living in the revelation of God's Word. Now, hopefully you're familiar with the great text that's often called the Shema. The Shema is a a call for Israel to put God first. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the great Shema. Starting in verse 4, we got this call to Israel, which is great application for you and me as well. But it says, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, just stop there for a moment. Is that good truth? Yeah. Is that something we should do? Yeah. All believers should be doing that. And so we need to... Don't just stop there. There's a glorious context coming after the verse. Listen to these next words. They're very applicable to you and to me. We're to be continually living in this revelation. So here's what it says, Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on, where? Notice it says, it's to be on your heart. On your heart. Because Jesus said, out of your heart, all the things, issues are going to come from that. Words coming from your, your heart, ultimately. So it's to be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now that's, that's a beautiful text. Let me give you the warning though. 
Because it's the same warning that Jesus talks about. I think it's Matthew 23. When Jesus was talking to the hypocrites. Right? The hypocrites decided, they knew this passage, Deuteronomy 6. But they decided it's far easier to just stick a box on your forehead with Scripture in it than to actually put it in your heart. Right? So they would walk around with this big box on their forehead showing everybody how awesome I am. Right? They're a hypocrite. No Scripture in the heart, apparently. Because Jesus called them hypocrites. Right? They, they do this outwardly of men so they can be seen by men and congratulated by men, Jesus says. But inwardly, they're just full of dead men's bones. They're whitewashed tombstones, Jesus said. So we need to be concerned about this because notice that even the text here says these commands are to be on our heart. Okay, Jesus didn't, and, and, and Deuteronomy is not telling us don't literally go around with Scripture plastered on your forehead. <laughs> right? It's to be in your heart. These things are to be going with you all throughout the day, no matter what you're doing. Constantly living in this revelation. So whether you're sitting, rising up, sleeping, eating, walking around on, on your job, sitting at your desk, whatever you're doing. So my friend, God wants you to listen to Jesus. What He doesn't want us to do is to neglect Jesus. Don't ignore Him. Don't just put Him aside and do nothing with Him. See, you see, here's the problem. Neglect of God's salvation is going to cost you eternal blessings. It's going to cost you eternal joy. So not only are you going to miss all that... Read Revelation. Not only are you not going to spend eternity with Jesus and all the glories of heaven, but it gets even worse because then you have eternal punishment. Neglecting God's salvation brings you damning judgment and eternal punishment. So, So my friend, don't drift away from Jesus Christ. Don't ignore Him. Don't neglect this great salvation. Instead, what the text is telling you to do is pay attention. Keep listening to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Look, as Hebrews 12 says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this glorious text, this scary text, this warning. We're thankful for the solution, for the arguments that You've put here in the text for us. Thank You that we can see the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so, Father, we ask that we would be concerned. Give us a concern. May we be concerned about our hearts, our deceitful, desperately wicked hearts that so often deceive us into being hypocrites like Jesus was concerned about. May we not be like that. But may Your Word, may Christ be in us, since He is the hope of glory. May we not just do things on the outward, but may they be real and genuine internal things. May Your salvation be something that we know by experience and personally. Father, for the one here today, 
or maybe more than one, who is drifting. They're not paying careful attention. They're, they, they know truths about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They know facts, but they have no relationship. May today be the day where you open their spiritual eyes so that they would know their sin. May they know the beauty of Christ and who He is and what He has accomplished. He bore their sin. He dealt with death and their penalty of sin. And He wants to give freedom. Take their guilt. Take their, their death. Take their sin and give them eternal life. May they know that reality today. Those of us who are believers, would you continually give us this concern? May we not take it for granted that uh, we, we are in a, a, a glorious relationship and fellowship with you. May we have a short sin account with you. May we continually come back to you when we have sinned and forgive us. We, we know you will because you have promised in 1 John 1.9 because you're a God who is just and faithful. And that when we come to You and when we confess and forsake, that You will forgive us from all unrighteousness. So when You reveal that sin to us, when we walk away, when we drift, may we come back. We know that we're not going to eternally drift away from You, but even in short moments when we've drifted away, may we come back quickly. May we not enjoy being separated in our fellowship from You. May it hurt deeply so that we don't want to be away for long. So we ask that the, the, the words here, these inspired words of the Holy Spirit would, would sink deep into our hearts, change us and conform us in the image of Christ, we pray.